Hello, I'm Rick Millenthal from the Shipyard, and welcome to Voices of Resilience. In this series, we have top thought leaders who share their personal stories that have fueled their passion to help others navigate stress, trauma, and adversity, especially in these challenging times. I'm happy to have here today, Ariana Gallagher, who is from the STAR program at the Ohio State Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health at the Ohio State University, and Dr. Luan Fon, who's chairman of the department. Ariana, Luan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Ariana, I know that you do a lot of work with what I think we've begun to call them the front lines, our medical community, and the whole world's beginning to know them better. But I'm wondering the kind of work you do with them. Oh, sure. Well, when this pandemic started to become kind of a a reality in Ohio, and a lot of kind of frontline healthcare professionals were having to, I guess, pivot their kind of normal operations to adapt to these changing circumstances. How do we keep everybody safe? What's going to happen when or if we get this influx of, of new cases of COVID-19? We've done a couple things to um, make sure that, that healthcare professionals have access to resources. So we've done a lot of writing with some coping tips to try to help people kind of think through how they're going to take care of themselves while they're dealing with all of this added burden. And then we've also launched this sort of virtual support group structure so that throughout the day, multiple times a day, we're offering just a place where anybody um, who's a a healthcare professional can log in and um, gain access to some support from a peer. So the facilitators that are, are doing these support sessions, they're skilled group facilitators. And um, they're really just there to lend a listening ear and offer some support and suggestions if somebody's struggling. Um, and if somebody's really struggling, helping them to gain access to linkage with treatment. So those are some of the things that we've been doing to be helpful and to try to just be a resource for people as they're having to very quickly and, and nimbly navigate these changing circumstances. You mentioned the support group. Mm-hmm. Can a person in what we call the front lines or one of our nurses or medical professionals, can they feel lonely sometimes? I think a lot of people are at risk of feeling isolated right now. Um, even if you're surrounded by other people who are doing the same work that you're doing, it's a very fast pace for a lot of people that are, are working with this on the front lines. And there's not always time to step away and talk about it because there's the next case and the next case and the next case. And we're not just talking about COVID. We're talking about, you know, anything that might bring a patient to a hospital setting. So I think a lot of providers certainly um, are at risk of feeling isolated and kind of lonely or alone in what they're coping with in response to, to all of this. I think there's a lot of content out there right now about sort of how to cope with um, 
stay at home orders and things like that. But healthcare professionals aren't staying at home. Their stress is different. And so I think a lot of people in in healthcare professions are are sort of dealing with a, a lack of support and resources to deal with the stress that they're facing that's maybe a little different from the public at large. And their families are facing it too, aren't they? Absolutely. I think there's a, a different level of anxiety that sometimes comes along with loving someone that is engaged in a healthcare profession. The level of risk is certainly different or feels different. I think there's a, a loss of control that a lot of us like to imagine that we have some control throughout our day. And if you're the family member of a healthcare professional, there are even more X factors right now that might put the person you love at risk or put the rest of your family at risk if the person who's working on the front lines might bring something home. Yeah. Luan, we talked in our first episode about emotional health. This is a, a, an example of uh, challenges in emotional health, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. As we uh, talked about uh, before, this is a challenge. As Ariana just said, um, you have a variety of emotions going through you. You feel lonely in some situations. You sort of even feel remote, even though you're in a setting where there are many of your coworkers around you. If you're heading home and you worry about the risk of infecting your family, um, you have a sense of physical distancing that you automatically do. But when you do that, you also feel remote from them emotionally as well. So the kind of sources that we typically rely on for help our coworkers and our colleagues and our family, even in this time, becomes even more remote, even though it might not be intentional. Do you think if you're a family of a healthcare professional, exactly what you were just saying, Luan, but you almost feel like you're in an alternate universe in a way, like the whole world is having a different experience than you uh, and the healthcare professional? Yes, absolutely. I mean, as a healthcare professional, you're taking the bold step of having to go to work every day. Um, and risking your life uh, taking care of patients with uh, the virus, some of whom require intensive care and some of whom will die in front of you. So you carry it home. I think that healthcare professionals always have carried that. And that's why there's such a risk of burnout uh, in, in the profession over time as sort of stressors mount and coping mechanisms get eroded. But now the stress is intensified even more. So healthcare professionals, um, live that in their shift at the day and, uh, they go home, um, and, and they, they carry that emotional and psychological burden along with them. It's, it's a toll that is pretty rare because last time we talked, uh, we compared a lot of what's happening as if we're going to war uh, or going into the battlefield. And here it's imagine if you were a soldier and you went to the battlefield for a shift of 10 to 12 or 14 hours and uh, you leave the battlefield and you carry it home. And so you, you live absolutely in an alternate universe. 
The other examples that I've heard is scary for the health professionals who come down with the virus um, and actually infect one of their family members. Um, so now that you know that story and you know that that could be a fact, most healthcare professionals are quite concerned. Um, they're concerned about themselves and having appropriate personal protective equipment, PPE, because of their own health, but also the health of their family as they bring it home to them. And there's examples of doctors and nurses who are in the front lines, you know, living in a separate part of the house. I have a friend who's actually uh, turned his garage uh, into his own room so that he can avoid infecting his family. I have another friend who put up a, a plastic wall to separate himself from his younger kids. And so you're not living in a different universe physically, but you're also living in a separate universe psychologically as well. Um, and I think we don't recognize it as, as much. Yeah. You know, I would think a medical professional might seek help for some of these emotional issues less. I don't know if I'm right about that, but they think I've seen so much. I've sort of been toughened up already. I don't really need to seek that much help. I'm going to power through it. Am I right about that? Or? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. A lot of healthcare professionals, because it's part of our training, it's part of what we do every day to see and hear about really difficult things that other people have been through. And we're trained to sort of keep some professional distance or emotional distance from those situations. So I think it is a little bit more difficult sometimes for a healthcare professional to, one, recognize distress, their, their own distress, and two, to access support, especially if that means taking time out of their day to go and talk to somebody about it. Sometimes there's the fear that, gosh, if I open up this box, I'm not going to be able to put it back away in time to go and see my next patient. And so I think there is a lot of, I guess, hesitation historically for, for healthcare professionals to access support. So I think to sort of combat that initial hesitation around reaching out for support, it's really so critically important to create the framework for that in the culture at the medical center overall, so that when someone really is starting to kind of cross that line around burnout, we can more easily have that conversation and folks are, are more open to accepting the other support resources that are out there. So we're, we're kind of working to destigmatize. To destigmatize. Yeah, that was really well said. One thing you said just now was that yeah, as a medical professional, I am trained to have emotional distance from my patients, which I presume because I see so much illness, I see death, I see trauma, and to serve them well, I have to stay somewhat distant. But these are great human beings, and human beings can't be completely distant, can they? Nope, not, and continue to do this work. Hmm. So it's, it's a really interesting sort of tightrope walk that a healthcare professional has to, to maintain balance where we're in the moment when we're with the patient and when we're trying to make pretty critical decisions sometimes about what needs to happen next. 
we've got to have that emotional distance. But we're still human and we still are going to experience those emotions, just maybe not quite in real time. And so being able to create a culture across the medical center where we can acknowledge that those, those feelings exist, even if we're not demonstrating them in the moment with a patient in a critical medical situation, to be able to say, wow, that was pretty intense. How you holding up? What can I do to support you? Hey, let's take a walk. Let's take a breath before you move on to the next thing. Like, let's just take a beat. Creating that culture where that's not just okay, but it's encouraged. I think it's a big shift for the the healthcare field in general. Oh, I can totally understand that. Creating a culture where as peers, we can embrace that these are emotional experiences. And uh, it probably is very parallel to a soldier or in war or any critical situation where you kind of got to keep your wits about you. You can't get distracted. But Luan, so how would we counsel someone to be able to embrace those emotions, but still be effective as a professional, which requires some distance? I think that it's important to um, validate the emotions that our fellow colleagues are feeling. And to say that it's really normal to feel this way, a lot of our colleagues have the fear that their emotions are exaggerated or abnormal in some way. And they keep it to themselves mainly because of not only a worry that they're not holding up as well as they should be. So you fall back into the notion that you're weaker than your fellow colleague who's able to handle it. And you also have the fear that you're not supposed to be feeling this way because you're supposed to be built stronger than this. So you have a lot of guilt and shame that you might be going through some of these distressful emotions. So it's really important to remind our colleagues to be aware of their emotions and to know that these are very normal reactions. And as Ariana said, it's critical to have a culture of caring where that's not only allowed, but there are strategies that we could have with one another to validate the emotions and then to take a step back and take a pause or take an action or engage in a behavior that is supportive and distracts or helps the person in the moment to de-stress right away. That's really, really critical. This, this culture of caring that we understand each other and we're in it together. Yeah. So what you mean is, which we really say to everyone, don't we? Emotions, or feeling stress and anxiety is not a weakness. But what you're saying, it's almost inbred in the profession that you could consider it a weakness, which of course it isn't. A weakness to feel. Go ahead, Ariel. Yeah, that's certainly the risk. If we don't foster this culture that sort of counteracts that myth, I think it's absolutely a risk that Healthcare professionals may be even more at risk of pushing their emotions to the side and and thinking that they're just getting rid of them. Unfortunately, if you're a human being, emotions don't just disappear if you don't address them in some way. It's kind of like a, a needy toddler that have you ever tried to ignore a toddler when they're trying to get your attention? 
and it tends not to go super well. They just get louder and louder and louder until you just can't stand it anymore. That sort of buildup of emotional burden over time is really what leads to that compassion fatigue and, and burnout. Compassion fatigue. What do you mean by that? Compassion fatigue is when you stop being able to engage with caring. So you may be kind of going through the motions of your day and still providing treatment as appropriate, but the emotional connection to your work and to your colleagues and to the passion that brought you to this line of work in the first place starts to disappear. And the challenging thing about emotions, when we're trying to, to locate the right balance, if we try to ignore or push away or shove down the emotions that we don't want to feel, it also limits our ability to tap into emotions that we would prefer to feel, like joy. So we start to become robbed of that capacity to experience pleasure and remember what brought you to, to work in this field in the first place. I had a bit of an epiphany as you were talking. We all know the old cliche of the great physician that has no bedside manner, right? <laughs> I, I think you're getting the gist of it. Absolutely. We see it frequently in the healthcare field uh, across different disciplines where, you know, you talk with somebody and, and they'll share, gosh, I used to really look forward to coming to work. I used to really love what I do and I'm having a hard time caring about much of anything these days. And it can really lead to a real identity crisis and a, a sense of despair. Certainly the folks that choose some of the most challenging fields, whether it's in trauma or ER or the most potentially terminal diseases, they've certainly chosen that for a lot of reasons in order to sort of repair the world and use their talents for that. And I can totally see that, that over time, if you don't watch it, you could lose that passion and that joy. Absolutely. And what a shame, because a lot of really talented and skilled professionals end up really struggling to reconnect with what led them to, to want to help people in the first place. You mentioned that we've been working with healthcare professionals for the last 10 years. I was just wondering, I kind of asked you in context of the pandemic over the years, has it been the same sort of tactics? Uh, it's certainly a little bit amplified now. Um, we've beefed up our practices and, and reserves of people that are offering this support across the medical center and, and deploying it in some new ways. But the basic idea stays faithful to our original endeavor, which is really just to create this framework for supporting each other in some pretty difficult work that we do. Now, you also work with victims of violence, right? Yes. And my understanding is you're sort of the first call while the medical professionals, physicians, the ER doctors are working on the physical trauma that comes with a victim of violence. You're sort of the first call to start to work with the emotional issues. It really does take a team of professionals, both in the emergency department and in our outpatient setting, to do some of that longer-term work that you can't necessarily coordinate in the context of a few hours in an emergency room setting. And so the Trauma Recovery Center is, is meant to be a little bit more holistic in its approach, kind of treating the whole person. 
And then we can work on the sort of trauma-focused therapy work. You know, once those basic needs are met and we help someone develop some initial coping skills, then we can start to do the more in-depth work that may be more focused on longer-term patterns or helping someone with their symptoms of PTSD or depression or anxiety that might have resulted from their exposure to trauma. Maybe not just this most recent incident, but a lot of our patients are survivors of multiple traumatic experiences throughout their lifetimes. So that accumulation of experiences can oftentimes change the way that person looks at the world and experiences relationships. So some of that longer term therapy work to help people heal in a more comprehensive way is really what we're aiming for in the Trauma Recovery Center. Luan, is what Ariana is describing, is that new to the field, that there would be such an integration between the mental health side and the, I guess I'll say, physical health side? So these issues could be addressed so early in knowing about this trauma? Well, you know, there are many of us who believe that emotional health is physical health and physical health is emotional health. I think many of us have felt that all along. And we're starting to finally realize that as more of a truth than a myth. And it's very hard to separate those two things. If you think about someone who's experienced trauma, either in themselves or witnessing trauma around them, it's also very hard to separate a physical trauma, and an emotional trauma. Those things often happen simultaneously. And the individual who has been traumatized incorporates and internalizes both the physical experience of trauma and a psychological, emotional experience of trauma into one. It ends up being part of their identity. And as Ariana said, it takes a very holistic long-term approach that is comprehensive and supportive to really get some of our uh, patients to process the traumatic experiences that they've had in their lives. If Luan, what you're saying about emotional health and physical health being so integrated, but I would have the perception that physical health, you know, can be cured and then there's recovery. That could be short-term, but emotional health trauma is going to come into my life, even if I have the one trauma, may come back into my life many times during my life. It's a lifetime issue. Am I right? Yeah. In some ways, you could look at it that way, that in the case of violence and physical traumas, those initial scars that are on your body may heal and your wounds may heal. But the emotional scarring that occurs because of the physical trauma tends to lay its trace down in our brains and then ultimately throughout our bodies a little bit more heavily. And that's what remains is this memory of the physical trauma that manifests itself emotionally, cognitively, and also in the way we act. And so it manifests in its many ways. And that emotional scarring from trauma like you noted, Rick, doesn't go away unless you work at it, unless you process it and work through it with the help of a therapist. Yeah, well said. Any advice for us that aren't medical professionals? How could we be most helpful and supportive to the medical professionals or to their families, especially right now? That's a great question. I think it helps to be recognized 
and not in a award and let me give you a, a medal kind of way, but just recognizing that the stress that healthcare professionals are dealing with at this moment in time is a little bit separate and different from what the community at large might be experiencing. Being able to express some acknowledgement and some gratitude, I think that goes a long way for a lot of people just to be seen. I think that helps. I don't know, Luan, if you have anything to add. I know that there are lots of things that people can do, but I think from what I'm hearing from people, it does help to just know that other people know that we're kind of going through it right now. Yeah, I mean, that's to me, that's right on, Ariana. I've been so encouraged by the acknowledgement of the work of healthcare professionals in this time, especially in the front line in the hospital. I think it's always been there. I mean, there's always been this idea that doctors and nurses and social workers who work in hospitals are doing just great things, but it's not as in the public's eye, uh, unless you actually fall ill or you have one of your loved ones fall ill and have to come into the hospital. So it's a rarity, right? Because that rarely happens and it rarely comes on the news. And I think that our society, I would say over the last 20 years or so, maybe a little bit more, certainly as I was in residency around the time of 9-11, our society began to pull together and realize the heroic sacrifices of first responders and to better understand what our EMS police officers and firefighters do on a daily basis. I think there was a greater recognition of that. And as soldiers began to come home from Iraq and Afghanistan, there was a greater appreciation uh, and recognition of their sacrifice. And I think I see that now more than ever in the paper and on the news that there's a story being told about the sacrifices that our doctors, our nurses, our social workers our physical therapists, and all the medical professionals that work in the hospital are going through. So that recognition is really great. I think that it helps everyone working in the hospital, I think, take a step forward, last another day, and sort of muster the energy and the emotional uh, wherewithals to carry on. So I think that recognition is great. Certainly, it doesn't have to be recognized as heroes. I think most healthcare professionals don't consider themselves as heroes, but rather they're just doing their job. But recognizing the difficult things that they're going through is really key. I think the other key consequence of the recognition is this allowance or this permission to feel all the feelings that people are going through, both in society, but also as healthcare professionals. You know, earlier, Ariana, you talked about compassion fatigue. And Rick, you had asked about what should we be doing to sort of move on and get to the next day and to keep doing that great job. The other suggestion I would have is to have self-compassion, to know that you are good um, and that you should take care of yourself and you should do everything you can to promote your own health in a very fundamental way love who you are, you know, I don't think we hear that enough, that compassion that we have for others should often be also turned inwards to ourselves. Ariana Gallagher, Luan Fon, that was, that was great. We thank you very much for being here. Thank you for your leadership and thank you for helping out these heroes, our medical professionals. 
and helping all of us navigate stress and adversity in these challenging times. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having us, Rick. Ariana is the coordinator at the STAR program at The Ohio State University. She is a first responder in helping medical professionals at Ohio State in navigating stress, trauma, and adversity. Her leadership has brought resilience to many. For more information on the STAR program, call 614-293-STAR or 614-293-7827. Thanks for joining us.